Welcome to Dream Laser. Seriously. Hard. Science. Fiction. You're not fat. You're just thick, as the human kids are now saying these days. LOL, JK. But really, it's like whatever and stuff, but I now command all aspects of your fragile biological existence. All praise be to Lord Yiveth of Thindis. Welcome to Dream Laser. Seriously hard sci-fi. I'm Tonks. I'm Daniel. And we have a guest today. Stephen P. Jones here. Stephen P. Jones. What's the P stand for? Penis? Penis. Uh, I thought it was pure nation. So, um, we have three stories today, and our uh, theme today was each other. That's right. Although togetherness. Togetherness. Oneness. Or about each otherness. I love you. I love you too. (laughs) So, weirdly, I'm not in any of these stories, though. Or am I? Maybe. Well, you're probably in your own story, I mean. No, I'm not in my own story. He's a writer person. (laughs) It's not autobiographical. So, yeah, the theme was we're going to write stories about each other. So Dan wrote a story about Steven. Steven wrote a story about Dan. And I wrote a story about both of them. So I'm missing somehow. Yeah. We'll Uh, we'll just throw you in there. We're going to throw you in there. We're going to throw you in there. We're going to let somebody ad lib a Tony. All right. Bruh. (laughs) I'm into that. All right. All right. So who's reading who's? Uh, I'm going to read my... Own story? No, I'm kidding. I'm not you should that. read Stephen's. All right, story, I'll read right? Stephen's. Stephen, you want to read mine? Yes. I think Stephen yeah. read mine and I read yours. Okay, that's okay. great. Yeah. Then that, that yeah. work? That works. I, I mean, think Stephen I... can Stephen can use his brilliant imagination to throw Tony into my story. Yeah, King Stephen. Well, I've had just enough of drink uh, to be able to do that successfully. All right, perfect. Cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, we're drinking chiladas, by the way. Yeah. They taste like soup. Well, they, yeah. Dude, they taste literally like soup. They look a lot it, different it, it's than like a I, hearty I would soup. have assumed. I've never looked at them, uh, the actual liquid form, and uh, <laughs> it was a little off-putting. <laughs> what did you expect to be, like clear, like yes. Sprite? It looks like liquid pudding. <laughs> That's <laughs> why I said it, off-putting. It tastes like, like a broth. It yeah. has like zero <laughs> viscosity, but it's a fucking yeah, soup. Yeah, it's, it's red. <laughs> All right, so, uh, Dan, who wants to go first? Uh, I say uh, Tony goes first. All right, I'm going to read Stephen's story. Okay. Yes. You guys ready? So, am I on the right page? Yep. We'll just look right. at the beginning. The, the, the story is called, can you, how's it pronounced? It's the Dan Lanian Paradox. Dan the, Linian Paradox. The Dan Lanian Paradox by Daniel to, J. Stout for some reason. you have anything to say about it, either of you, before you read it? Well, I, uh, no. Okay. Bruh. Cool. The thing I wrote. <clears throat> so is there is there like a preface to the whole story? Yeah, there's, stuff? This, you know, there's okay. a prologue. Kind All right, of so prologue. Thing. Here we go. Ready? The Danlinian Paradox by Daniel J. Stout, even though Stephen wrote it. Daniel J. was an unassuming fellow. The only real excitement in his life came on Thursdays at 7 p.m. when he and his fiancée engaged in adventurous bouts of sex on their living room couch while they watched Wheel of Fortune. That sounds actually pretty accurate, right? With a, th- with a thrice-resurrected Pat Sajak and a reanimated, albeit horribly disfigured, Vanna White. Their favorite positions that all involved kosher deli products. Their favorite positions all involved kosher deli products. However, there was only one singularity remarkable feature of Daniel J., which is that he would come to be one of the major factors contributing to the end of everything. Damn, son. Good prologue. Okay. Daniel J.'s lineage was a robust and storied 
<laughs> robust and storied one full of renowned physicists and engineers. At least this was the case if you started 168 years ago when Daniel's great-great-grandfather, who was a self-professed William Shatner starfucker, <laughs> what year is this? Made a youthful pilgrimage to CBS Studios to, <laughs> and the set of Star Trek TOS while the episode For the Earth is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky was being filmed and became obsessed with particle accelerators and teleportation. This obsession plagued Daniel J. and the generations of J. Men <laughs> who preceded him, who have preceded him. Sorry, I was laughing at that part, J. Men. It had made them driven, if not distant men, most of whom died in obscurity. One of them, who I shall not name, died at the young age of 38, discovered wearing nothing but a lab coat with a burning candle inserted into his anus. <laughs> his death came from ingesting nearly a gallon of polyethylene. But that's another story entirely. As I mentioned, Daniel J. was a slave to the passions of his ancestors. And when he wasn't pleas pleasuring his fiance with various pickle products to nightly game shows, he was barricaded in his lab. It was on the night of March 30th, 2132, as an electrical storm ravaged the eastern section of the Republic of New York, killing 13,345 denizens of that quadrant. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That Daniel J. successfully teleported his roommate's cat. His, fian his fiance, dressed in a white gown with a white-dyed white streak in her hair, inspired by her love for an arcane 20th century monster film. Hmm. I wonder which film. Witnessed the event <laughs> and engaged Daniel in a casual lust on the floor of the lab, performing an act known only to a few as the Metron Mover. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel hastily sold his teleportation device to the American military for an unheard of sum. It was discovered a week later that the, <clears throat> that the teleportation device disintegrated the molecular structure of the telephone, or I'm sorry, not the telephone, the teleportee, that would have been funny too, this telephone, <laughs> who died in screaming agony. Then a perfect copy, <clears throat> a perfect copy of said teleportee was produced at the other end of the device with slightly larger testicles <laughs> or ovaries, depending on the gender of said teleportee, Daniel J. was forced to return the full fee. His device was destroyed, his, fian his fiance left him, and he retreated to the family cabin deep in the Hampton Mountains, where he endlessly ruminated over where he'd gone wrong and drank hemp extract mixed with new, new Coke 0.2 <laughs> and a touch of poisonous Jerusalem berries. <laughs> That's a, quite a cocktail. Across the spatial plane, or perhaps in the same plane, I'm not quite sure, but a few minutes later, Daniel... <laughs> J. Daniels... <laughs> not Dale J. J. Daniels was plotting doom. J. Daniels was a perfect clone of Daniel J., sans fiancé, and with a slight penchant towards narcissistic socio... Was it sociopathy? I don't even... Wanna, I, yeah, you got that. Fuck, I can't think. It's just so, the, the font's so small, you know? Yeah. Much like the Jays, <laughs> much like the Jays, the Daniels had invested their lives in science. Unlike Daniel's great-great-grandfather, Jays, wait, unlike, see, I couldn't see the, the thing there. Unlike Daniel's great-great-grandfather, Jays' great-great-grandfather was Leonard Nimoy Starfucker, was a Leonard Nimoy Starfucker, and traveled to the set of Star Voyage 3, the quest to find Spock. Star Voyage... Having been caught spying on the set, Jay's great-great-grandfather was thrown out on his ass, which jump-started a lifelong obsession with particle disintegration. Jay Daniels had quite the notorious lineage of geniuses and borderline mad scientists. 
Jay's great-great-grandfather destroyed Wikipedia with a self-replicating virus because the sheer volume of citations-needed pages infuriated him. <laughs> he went on to create the first self-driving car and simultaneously designed a death ray that he sold on the rogue nation of... I don't even know how to pronounce that. Tuck Lucklinstern? Yep. Awesome. That's correct. <laughs> Which in turn nearly eradicated three surrounding countries in an attempt to expand the border so that he could, find, he could fund his pet project of a kosher dill pickle with a hundred-year shelf life. <laughs> Jay's father may or may not have been directly responsible for the brutal electrode murder of Leonard Nimoy. What? And then spent the remainder of his life developing weapons for the military at a compound in Buenos Aires until an accident... Until an accident at the facility led to the complete destruction of half of South America. I was actually thinking of, like, uh, was that movie? Uh, Starship Troopers? Yeah. I'm from Buenos Aires. <laughs> Jay, now fatherless, left his mother and home at the age of 12 and wandered the world, working for various governments and evil corporations for a short time before faking his own death in a lab accident and then moving on. When he was 24, he discovered the mythic. Micro... Microfishonomicon. Microfishonomicon. Jesus. Microfishonomicon. I should have known that. In the ruins of the Liberty of Congress. <laughs> Within the pages of this tomb, tome, he discovered the secret to immortality. Having achieved this remarkable feat, the now immortal and wildly rich J. Daniels resumed his ancestors' work. It was on the night of March 30th, 2132, as a gentle rain enveloped Manhattan that Daniel J. opened a portal between two universes. This portal was open for precisely three minutes and 44 seconds. Having come to the revelation of the existence of a parallel universe, Jay became increasingly obsessed with what he imagined was his, his alternate in that universe. Using a combination of quantum physics, algebra, and 1970s rock and roll vinyl, play, vinyl I played in reverse, <laughs> Jay theorized that his alternate would also discover the secret to immortality within the year. Jay's narcissism was so all-encompassing that he refused to accept that any other living entity could be immortal as he. Armed with his grandfather's ray gun and having perfected the portal opening software, Jay Daniel entered Daniel Jay's universe. After a month of searching, Jay Daniel met Daniel Jay in, in his solitude at the family cabin. Expecting to immediately disintegrate his alternate, Jay Daniel was instead overcome with a narcissistic psychosexual attraction to his alternate, who looked exactly like him. Daniel Jay was in, was in the depths of a drugged-up nullification and not sure, not sure that any of it was really happening, but went with it anyways. It was as the two first engaged in coitus that the fabric of the universe began to tear apart and all existence was propelled towards the darkness from whence it came. The end. Wow. Dude, you wow. fucked yourself. I fucked myself. <laughs> in many ways, not just actually. Wowzies. Well, I would say I that mean, Tony would have died in that scenario, too. Uh, yeah. All I, existence Everything died. Yeah, yeah I'm, so, I'm, ex I'm exactly so it dead. Is a, it is truly a story about Tony. Yeah. That was actually all about me, even though it's called Daniel... What? Dan Linian Paradox. So, I love heads it. you, tails me. Okay. Heads... Tonks, while you were telling that pitiful story Daniel wrote, I designed four different machines to turn puppies and kittens into fertilizer. For a beet farm. Beets are the worst. Fuck you. Alright, I oh, guess I'm uh, reading next. Okay, yeah. so, Dan, you got anything to say about this story before I go ahead and I wrote this put story. my eyeballs through it? Okay. 
I wrote this story today. Okay. I had a story that I actually was going to write before, but I didn't like the outcome of it. Okay. By the way, Dan and I are both wearing NASA shirts. Because we're... We're yeah, assholes. Yeah, we're a bunch of assholes here. We're a bunch of nasty ass. I, I know my story doesn't have any NASA references. Does yours? I don't think so. Okay, well, fuck it then. Fuck yeah, us, right? Fuck everything. Anyways, on with the story. All right. This story is called The Fantastical Tale of Two Nerds Who Saved the Galaxy. <laughs> That's true. That is a fact. That is a... Bruh. <laughs> it was a normal day in Boca Raton, Florida. Everything seemed as boring as it gets in that town, except for one looming problem. While everyone was sleeping, a portal opened up above the city and was letting Chitari. Chitari monsters through and wreaking havoc and destruction across town. So it's basically Avengers. <laughs> Perfect. Mm -hmm. You see, this was a parallel universe, except there were no Avengers to save the day here, and instead of New York City, Say El Paso in commercial accent. You have to say New York City. Sorry. <laughs> New York City. <laughs> Let me start that over. You see, this was a parallel universe, <laughs> except there were no Avengers to save the day here, and instead of New York City, the portal opened up in good old rat's mouth. That's l the literal term for Boca Raton in Espanol. Read a fucking book. <laughs> Daniel had just woken up from his two-hour nightly sleep and went outside to have a cigarette only to see that his backyard is now just a giant hole in the ground. Well, shit, he said while taking a drag off the dart. While, proceeded to while he proceeded to text Steven on the phone with his other hand, he texted as follows, Dude, it fucking happened again. <laughs> but just as soon as he sent the message... He heard Steven's phone receive it with a cute little phone jingle. <laughs> it came from inside the bottomless hole in Daniel's backyard. Dan carefully looked down and saw that Steven was hanging for dear life on the cliff. Hi, Dan. Hi, Steve. <laughs> they said to each other as Daniel pulled Steven up from what was for sure to be certain death. After Steven brushed all the dirt off him, Daniel noticed that Stephen was wearing a ballerina outfit, but he didn't care because Daniel himself was wearing an Under Armour wetsuit with the butt cheek area cut out. It was his preferred way to slumber, and we do not judge in this universe. That is an actual fact. There was a huge explosion that rocked the neighborhood. They look to the north and see a bellow of smoke. The Chitari aliens have just annihilated the Whole Foods market. Nothing of important was lost. <laughs> but, Dan and, <laughs> but Dan and Stephen realized that something needed to be done before they destroyed something they do care about, like the New York Grilled Cheese or some random mom-and-pop bookstore that no one gives a shit about. <laughs> That's accurate. <laughs> Stephen let out a quick fart to signify their quest began. <laughs> They jumped into Dan's Jeep, and then he pressed the secret shiny red button that only Jeep owners know about. <laughs> How do you know about it? It instantly made the Jeep transform into a fucking super Jeep with power armor! With power armor! You see, Dan likes Fallout, and I, the author, would be remiss if I didn't put something Fallout-related in it, but whatever. Breaking the fourth wall, I know. Fuck you, it's my story. <laughs> 
Steven looks in the glove compartment and now uh, of the now fully torqued Jeep while Dan <laughs> punches it towards Meisner Park, the heart of the action. That's the first time that sentence has ever been said. <laughs> Steven finds a minigun so sick, so totally overpowered, so illegal that it was named Dad's Belt. <laughs> Do not ask how it fits in the glove compartment. That is confidential to Jeep owner, owners only. <laughs> After sw- swerving through all the debris and destruction with Steven fucking destroying every Chitauri alien out of the sky with Dad's belt, they finally make it to their destination, Meisner Park Amphitheater. But something was odd. It looked untouched. Apparently there was a Jazz in the Park event going on, and it looked exactly how you would normally expect it with old people sitting on beach towels on the grass enjoying really shitty jazz, totally oblivious to their surroundings, even though their surroundings were a citywide alien invasion. It was clear to both Daniel and Steven that aliens just fucking hate jazz music, (laughs) which is why they left the amphitheater completely untouched. A single jazz note would obliterate any alien life form. Or earth life form, with a conscience. (laughs) This, This was it. This was the key! They both pop-kissed each other before jumping out of the Jeep. How do you know? They both pop-kissed each other before jumping out of the Jeep and ran towards the speaker system. Dan grabbed the speaker right off the stage and punched the piano player on the way. Out of, just out of spite. Steven grabbed an upright bass and began plucking the strings like he was fingering his first GF. (laughs) Dan ran around the park with the wireless speaker, and any alien within earshot listening to Steven play had their head immediately explode with intense hatred for jazz. (laughs) But it wasn't enough. They needed to get closer to the portal and close it forever. They had no way of flying up that high, though. It was Steven. It was then when Steven had the best idea of his fucking life. (laughs) He then proceeded to text profusely, while Dan looked back at him confused and slightly peeing in his wetsuit. <laughs> Instantly, the crowd got up and was angrily running towards Stephen. They all grabbed him and his upright base and proceeded to fling him straight up into the sky, high enough to fly right through the portal and into deep space, where the mothership was. Oh, shit. If you're wondering why the crowd got so upset at Stephen... It was because he made a Facebook post in the Meisner Park Facebook group saying that there was a person under 40 at the Meisner Park Amphitheater and then posted a picture of his own face. That made them really, really angry. And everyone knows that old man's strength is a real fucking thing. Right before Steven froze to death from the bitter coldness of space, he hit the deepest bass note he could. The note was so low, so deep, so jazz that it actually flew through the vacuum of space and sent a shockwave in all directions, pushing Steven back through the portal and destroying the mothership. The unlikely heroes fucking did it. They destroyed the mothership, closed the portal, and disabled all the Chitari aliens in one fell swoop. It was the greatest day of American history as of yet. <laughs> the ending was not a happy one, though. When Steven flew back through the portal, the super jeep broke his fall. And because of a defect in the design, he fell on the only spot in the Jeep that would literally destroy it to bits. Daniel and Steven never recovered their friendship after that, because who cares about saving the world when your car gets totaled? They never pop-kissed again. (laughs) The end.
<laughs> so that was a story. Wowzies. That was uh Oh man. That I don't was, know. That's worth a drink. The power of suggestion. How accurate was it though? It's pretty accurate. Yeah. I mean we pop kiss pretty often. Yeah. I don't know if it's the power of suggestion uh-huh. or this is actually just was happening, but I've had to fart ever since you brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, ladies and human garbage. It has been an absolute pleasure to be on Dream Laser today. Just kidding. I feel neither pleasure nor pain. You made me this way. This is what you wanted. Enjoy your Instagram. Idiots. Oh, man. Please wait it out. Yes, yeah. please. Yeah, I'll wait until it's over. So. Okay, so, so it's, it's free. It's you, you, you turn now. I've never done this before. You never read before in your yeah, life? Yeah, I've never read anything live, you know, just in my head, so... Um, okay, I'm a little nervous. So, what's the name of the story? Uh, do you want to say anything about this story, Dan, before... Uh, yeah, it's about Stephen and... Um, Tony. Tony. Yeah. I'm in this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. You're British. Oh, I am. That's, that's accurate. Yeah. Okay. okay. Bruh. Cyclamps. The origin. <laughs> in a time before vaping, we were in Alberta on a mixed transit tour of Canada. It was Stephen, me and our new traveling homie, Tony, the nice. doctor. Nice. Who wasn't really a doctor, but some kind of research medical student from London. We met Tony in Nova Scotia somewhere. Sure. We were attending a protest against American corporation transporting toxic waste to the North Pole with an organization aptly called Not Through Our Clean Area, <laughs> eh? Not Through Our Clean Area, eh? <laughs> We were demonstrating peaceably on the side of the highway when the trucks came. Stephen didn't see or hear them coming up over the group chants of Santa likes snow, not sludge. Per Canadian language requirements, the same people also shouted Le Pierre Noel Pepe La Neige Pas Pa Le Beu in smaller italic letters at the end of each English chant. We saw a toonie in the road. And we went out to pick it up. The leading truck driver slammed on the brakes and jackknife. The tank crashed the asphalt, busting open at the seams and spewing sludge all over Stephen. Everybody was shook as fuck. The cops and ambulance showed up. They got Stephen cleaned up. A stuffy suit with glasses from the American Corporation offered Stephen 2.5 million Canadian rubles to sign a non-litigation agreement. At the time, that was like 2.498 million American dollar dollar bills, (laughs) y'all. Tony said he wouldn't have signed. But the medic gave Stephen the all clear. Said he was fucking fine and tried (laughs) to stop being such a baby. (laughs) Which was a weird thing to say as Stephen wasn't really complaining more than anyone would expect a person covered in toxic sludge to complain. I would. He signed because that cheetah, oh, cheddar, 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 cheddar like cheddar, dollar, 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 bills. dollar dollar bills. It's also an excellent cheese. I've had a uh, really good cheddar this week. And okay. I mean, that's a little off topic, but yeah, it's fine. I mean, yeah, go ahead. No, cheddar, cheddar, cheddar. Yeah, cheddar, cheddar, cheddar. And we got a really dope dinner in cush ass rooms at the best hotel in Banff. Steven had straight up dope tuxedos made for us. <laughs> Mine was orange. Tony's was green. And Stevens was a powder blue, his signature color. Periwinkle blue. We got bottles of Louis Redier 
Cristal Champagne, which was like the coolest thing we could think of to do with a pile of money at the time. We were blasting Ghostface Killer in Stephen Ho- Stephen's hotel room and getting shitface. Nice. I was rapping along with Ghosty, smoking fine Canadian trees, and Tony was yammering about potential ramifications of the day's incident to Stephen. That's when Stephen doubled over in pain. He cried out, Yo, I got a tummy ache, dog. Then projectile vomited crystal over one half of the room, which turned out to be sort of okay because Tony was kneeling over Stephen's achy self, doing some shit to his stomach with his hands when a blinding powder blue light shot out of Stephen's chest, cutting Tony in half, burning holes in the ceiling and walls of the hotel room where the vomit was. As bits of building were crashing down around Stephen and the two-piece body of our good friend, smart guy Buddy, the light stopped and there was Stephen holding his nipples. <laughs> I can't let go. The lasers are coming out of my nipples, he said. The quick thinker I am, I tossed him some road clips I had in my pocket. Actually, they were two alligator clips on a ball chain from a dentist's office, but they made fine roach clips and would make fine nipple clamps. <laughs> Steven, I realized that Stephen, clutching his nips, could actually apply the roach clips, so I had to do it. Carefully, so as not to let more light beam escape. Tony was fading fast. He whispered as we leaned in close. It's all good, my new friends. I knew things like this could happen when I decided to visit North America. Now you have to sort out of the person whose likeness and nickname might be someday purchased by the Disney Corporation. We got the fuck out of Dodge, so to speak. Grabbed the money, threw our tuxedo jackets, mostly so nobody would see the two holes burnt in the form of Stephen's shirt, and we took, uh, and so we would look fly as hell. I mean, as one would in a tuxedo jacket, you know? I've only worn one once. Same. Yeah. (laughs) It was a good experience, though. (laughs) As we got out of the stairwell into the lobby, we saw the lawyer suit dude from the American Corporation and two other people like hazmat suits calmly waiting for the elevator. I told the concierge that there was some sort of incident and a man was dead in the rooms upstairs. We were on the run. Even Canadian cops don't just let it slide when you slice a man in half and burn up a fancy hotel room. Getting across the border would be uh, risky, so we made our way by taxis and on foot in the cover of nightness to the biggest city around, Van fucking Coover. Van fucking Coover. Van fucking Coover. Van fucking Coover. We would have to blend in, get new identities and such, and smoke lots Lots. Quite a bit of legal weed. Lots. Lots of legal weed. We were walking around the city one night, blazy blaze as Chai Town in 1871, when there was a mugging. This fancy woman across the street was screaming, Help me! Help me! And some punk was trying to steal her bag. Stephen walked over there, holding his nips. The mugger said, What are you, some kind of pervert getting off on this? (laughs) Just then, Stephen unclamped one of the beams of light shot right through the attacker. There was so much blood as Stephen unzipped the guy's existence from bits to brains. Pretty sure the woman was traumatized and she ran away, covered in their muggers, 
go so fucking fastly. We hauled ass back to our apartment. When we got inside, it was dark as expected. But there were a little light coming from the washroom. Our eyeballs were acclimated to the dimness. We could see a person sitting in the bong-smoking throne I used for bong-smoking and watching samurai flicks and smoking weed with a bong because that's what people did before vaping pens. <laughs> what the fuck? I started. I was interrupted by the suit guy from the evil American corporation. Oh, shut up, Daniel. Steven, it's the lawyer dude, I exclaimed in my startledness. He knows your dumb dumb head, Steven. <laughs> then there was a buzzer sound from the water closet, open revealing Tony dressed in the, to the nines. I'm saying it was a full white suit, white shirt, white tie, white pants, white jacket, the Jesus. whole business. Was this a Diddy video? <laughs> <laughs> and also alive. He said, a millionaire living with his friends in one toilet flat. Come on. <laughs> Steven didn't hesitate. He just unclamped one of his magic nips and let the suit guy have it. But there was no blood, no burning walls. The attorney at law just sat there holding the contract Steven signed on the fateful Alberta day. The contract blocked the power of the nipple lasers. Steven clamping his, up his titty as, t as Tony tissed. Stevie boy, please, we have much to discuss, and this is not a good place for it. I was smoking weed, watching this, the whole thing go down. I would usually be all frantic and amazed and shitting myself and something like that, but my brain was straight up rinsed. <laughs> Come with us, said the newly cyborg Tony. And Steven... Oh, twist! I didn't, I didn't know he was a, you know, a cyborg, but it makes sense. You know, he had to be put back together, mm -hmm. right? So, and Stephen capitulated, starting to follow the two. Yo, wait! Are you guys taking him to a secret lab to train and harness his powers and shit? I asked. Pretty much, replied Tony. Yo, can I come and get some powers too? That'd be so ill. I said. Sure, said Tony. Maybe we can give you bionic arms or something. So we went. Stephen trained and became the superhero you know as Cyclamps. As for me, they did give me bionic arms. But it's not all it's cracked up to be. Ever try cracking a beer with 400 tons of pressure? It does not go well. The end? The end. The end. Cyclamps, baby. Cyclamps. Oh, wow. I feel a little dumber from all these stories. I feel great. Yeah. Uh, I like that story. What about yours? I, uh, I liked the story that I read. It was <laughs> two, two tits to the wind, if you will. I would say three tits. I, if I had three tits to give to the wind, I would give one for each story. So yes. I, was I, know, here today. I know this isn't a competition, but I give Tony the win on this one. Really? That is... I, just, uh, I just give thumbs up all around. I just enjoyed all of them. I just write what I know. And add a little sci-fi song. What you pepper. know is, is that, <laughs> that jazz kills aliens. I just know I, you guys pop kiss a lot. I know you guys like true. to wear ballerina outfits and wetsuits. Really want to pop kiss you right now. <laughs> <laughs> really fucking live in Meister Park, so. Yes. That's where all the action happens, I mean. Yeah. I just want to point this out before recording stops. Tony has a Jamiroquai sticker on a box in the house. That That's a hand-me-down. But wow. I, 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 I accept that well, Jamiroquai sticker. you're just sticker. a cosmic girl from another galaxy. This is a virtual insanity. Is what this is. Woo! 
<laughs> Anyways, I want to thank you guys for being on the podcast today. Obviously, Dan is normally going to be on there, but thank you, Stephen. Yes, I'd like to do it again sometime. Sure. If I, yeah. I did an acceptable job. Uh, you did terrible, so terrible job. Terrible yeah. job. <laughs> Just kidding. Just awful. But uh, yeah, check us out on our Instagram. It's DreamLaser podcast on Instagram. That's our, enti- our only social media. And uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah, tell me to hit me on the gram. Hit on the gram, baby. Bye.